Getting to the milestone of 100 website leads per day is a big achievement for any business and feels like a real milestone for people. In today's podcast, we're going to be diving into 26 different tips to help you get to that stage. Now, these are things taken from stuff that we've done with clients to help them hit this milestone. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja, which is a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales through their website. Now, whether 100 leads per day represents an incremental improvement for you or whether it would require a complete, you know, re-engineering of your entire business to be able to process that number. The important thing that we're talking about today is having a clear marketing strategy, which isn't over-reliant on any one particular channel, a good quality, high converting offer on your website that increases your conversion rate and allows you to drive more traffic and also an automated follow-up process that turns top of funnel traffic into qualified leads. So really what we're doing here is we're getting the the kind of pillars of a scalable marketing campaign in place. So even if 100 leads per day isn't your goal or isn't your immediate goal, the process that we're going to go through and the tips in different areas are going to help you build a scalable digital marketing strategy. So we're going to talk through a few different areas. Firstly, we're going to talk about the foundations that you need to have in place. Then we're going to talk about um, conversion optimization. We're going to talk about different traffic sources like organic SEO. We're going to talk about content marketing, pay-per-click advertising, social media, and email marketing as well. Like I say, 26 different tips. And this is a fairly kind of broad podcast episode covering lots of different areas. And I'll point you in direction of different podcasts and different videos if you want more detail about any of these topics specifically. So let's think about how most websites generate leads. Most sites are basically a bunch of pages with some content on of varying quality. And then they have a contact page. And the contact page is where people will get in contact if they think that this business looks like a good fit for them. The good news is that some people will do that. If that is your process, you will get some leads as long as you're getting traffic. The bad news is that a website in that sort of scenario isn't converting anywhere near as many leads as it could do. We, as you all know, if you're a regular listener to the show, advocate having a really compelling, clear call to action on every single page of your website. This call to action is the thing that you want people to do. It's the first step in your sales funnel. It's the way that you incentivize people who are kind of just looking or could maybe be nudged into becoming a lead into taking an action and getting in contact with you. One of the first things that we'd suggest and the first tip for today is conversion tracking. You absolutely need conversion tracking set up, preferably in something like Google Analytics, which is you know universally accepted, which gives you insight into where people are coming from on your site, which pages they're converting on, which traffic sources are performing the best, where people are falling off. This insight is really important and having visibility on how people are converting, whether that's through contact forms, uh, pop-ups, click to call, phone numbers, call tracking through something like Response Tab is vital if you're going to be targeting something like 100 leads per day because you need to know what's working so you can do more of it, optimize your website for conversion, get it really efficient, before you have the confidence to drive lots of traffic to it because driving traffic takes time energy and money and you need to make sure that your website is in suitable shape to receive that traffic before you put that investment in place so conversion tracking set up and implemented is the first step and we have videos on our youtube channel showing you how google analytics works and that type of stuff tip number two landing page optimization now, landing page optimization isn't a uh, a task that you do, it's a mindset. And again, we've got videos on landing page optimization which go into a lot more detail, but the process of landing page optimization or the mentality behind landing page optimization is we're always looking at where traffic is coming from and where it's hitting your site and what the conversion rate of those particular pages is. For example, if you're a service business, let's say you're an accountancy firm, your service pages, your VAT accountancy, your whatever, your PAYE, whatever, these will be landing pages for organic and for paid traffic. So we need to make sure that they are optimized to perform as landing pages, which means whole traffic can land on that page 
get an understanding of who you are as a business, why they should use you, understand that this service that you're offering is relevant for their needs, get the credibility that you would want to share with them through testimonials and case studies, and then take a conversion, like take that next step to do business with you. And yes, that should all be able to happen on a single page. We don't want to force people to hunt through your website to find the information that they need to overcome their objections. So what we're really doing is we're expecting a lot from each of the pages on our website. So every single page on your site effectively needs to act as if it was a landing page. And that's a really important mindset to take if you're going to be ruthlessly optimizing your site for conversions. Tip three is to have heat mapping. Now, we use heat mapping like Hotjar and it really gives you three main types of insights. So heat mapping, you'll just install a little piece of code on the site and it'll give you visibility much more visibility about what's happening on your pages. So the three insights that something like Hotjar will give you first, it'll give you click data. So it'll show you where people are clicking on your pages. It'll give you these little click heat maps, which show lots of people are clicking on this button or this section or even this piece of text. So this can be really useful when we're optimizing a website because it can tell us what people need to learn more about. If we see lots of people clicking on a particular word or a headline, that can tell us, okay, we need to give more information about that particular topic. If people are clicking on things that aren't buttons, but you know they look like buttons or people aren't clicking on buttons because they don't look like buttons, that's really good feedback that we can take to the UX team and we can say, we need to re-engineer the design of this page. So that's the first thing that, this hot, uh, that, uh, that heat mapping gives you. The second thing that heat mapping gives you is scroll depth. So this shows you kind of temperature chart of how far down the page visitors are moving. And this is really useful insight because it can tell us how much information people need before they're ready to take an action and also how engaging our pages are. If people aren't making it past the fold on your page and it can be an indication that maybe there's a lack of visibility of content above the fold or that perhaps they've decided that the page isn't quite relevant for them and they've gone somewhere else. The third thing that we get from heat mapping is user recording. And user recording is simultaneously the most interesting thing in heat mapping and also the most maddening because you'll watch back users using your website and you'll see them moving their cursor around and flitting between different pages and bouncing between sections and getting confused and then dropping out just before they purchase or just before they become a lead. This type of insight is really key. Now, it can be quite difficult to process user recording information. And really, we found the best way is to just watch a whole bunch of them until you get to see the patterns and the things that people are doing on the site, which can then help you identify what the common stumbling blocks are. So we use Hotjar. We have no affiliation to Hotjar. We just find it to be a really useful tool. So that is tip number three, is to get some sort of heat mapping set up on your site so that when you start driving more traffic, you can see exactly what's happening and where the conversion blockers are. Okay, we're gonna talk a little about pay-per-click or paid media now. Um, let's say that you've got your website conversion optimized, you've got your conversion rate kind of well above a you know minimum sort of level of maybe 2%. Now would be the time to start driving some more traffic to that site. Fantastic way to do this is to use paid networks like Google, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or whatever. So there's really two main <laughs> sources of paid traffic, which are most common, and that is either Google's ad network or Facebook's ad network. And we're gonna talk about how to identify which is gonna be best for you. But firstly, why is pay-per-click an important component if we're looking to get to a milestone like 100 leads a day? Well, whilst organic channels are fantastic and all of our biggest clients have have a significant portion of their traffic and their leads coming from organic. The great thing about paid ads is that you can target very specific, whether it's keywords or audience segments. This gives you a lot of insight into what's working, which can then inform your organic strategy. So let's say, for example, we've uh, had a lot of clients in uh, and in around PPI. So let's say that we tested some different keywords with Google Ads to find out which PPI keywords were going to be the highest performing for leads. Well, we can do that very quickly with Google Ads. I was going to say very cheaply. It's not, it's not cheap at all. It's extremely expensive, but we can do that with Google Ads. We can then take that data back to SEO and say, we know we want to optimize for these keywords because we know that they convert. We know that this traffic is very qualified. The other great thing about PPC is that it gives you a scalable source of traffic. 
With organic, there is always going to be an unpredictability because you're always at the mercy of some sort of algorithm, some sort of visibility algorithm, whether you're talking organic search traffic or organic social media. Whereas with pay-per-click, you know that if you need more traffic on Thursday, you can just increase your budget on Thursday and you can broadly predict what your cost per lead is going to be. This makes it extremely scalable because once you've got your cost per lead where you want, then you can increase your budget. Now, of course, if you increase your budget too rapidly, you're gonna see your cost per lead increase, but these are manageable numbers and everything can be predicted and worked with because you get a lot of data. Whereas with organic traffic, like SEO, you are to an extent, you're working now for a result tomorrow or next month or you know in three months time. So it can be much more difficult without that instant feedback loop that PPC gives you. So we'd always suggest where possible testing PPC and having a PPC channel, at least one in place, even if organic is a big source of visibility for you, because you never want to be over-reliant on any one channel. And it's always nice to know that if your organic visibility falls for whatever reason, you can cover that, you can fill that gap with paid traffic. Okay, so the first thing is to choose the right platform. Do you go broadly for Facebook's ad platform or do you go for Google's? Now, the core kind of Google ad product is search ads, obviously. So this is when someone types something in Google, what are the ads that show up, whether it's e-commerce or whether it's, you know, uh, text ad listings. Google ads is typically favored by businesses that sell to search intent. So if, for example, you're a locksmith firm, right, or let's say you're an accountant firm, or uh, let's say that you're a personal injury lawyer, these are typically things that people would buy because they have search intent. I look for them. Um, actually, maybe with the exception of the personal injury lawyer where there is a bit of impulse purchase there, but it's typically intent focused. Certainly with something like an emergency locksmith, it's, a, it's an idea that we can all really understand, right? You don't scroll Facebook, see an emergency locksmith ad and think, ah, do you know what? We do need a locksmith. I'm gonna go and lock myself out of my house and book a locksmith. Right, this is something that you search for. You know that you have a need and you just need to fill that need. So if your business is like that, where you're giving people something that they know they need, you're fixing a problem that they know they have, then search ads can often be a very good place to start. If, however, your business is more focused on selling people something that either they don't know that they want or could be an impulse purchase, so anything like fashion, uh, any lots of health-related stuff, supplement-type things can often be impulse-type purchases, and this can work with lead gen as well. So we've had lots of um, lead gen clients very successfully use Facebook's ad networks for things like legal claims, um, finance clients we've had successful in lead gen, estate uh, agency, all sorts of things. So if your business is more like show up in front of them and they might decide to buy from you or they might decide to become a lead, then obviously Facebook's ad products are great there. So first thing is to identify broadly which of these channels you're gonna prioritize. Obviously, whenever you can get both working, fantastic because you've spread your risk. Um, but we usually find that one or the other channel is gonna be most profitable for a client and that we'd put the majority of our focus there. So let's say that you choose Google as your ad platform, and then we'll talk about Facebook in just a second. The first step is to do some competitor analysis. So what we typically do is we'd search on Google for the keywords that we're targeting and just have a look and see what sort of things people are advertising. So we're looking at things like ad copy. What are the words that they're using in the ads? What are the differentiation points that they're mentioning in the ads to try and sell us? What are the calls to action? What are the things that they're offering us to try and get us to convert? So we're just gonna do a quick search uh, and I'm gonna talk you through it. If you wanna watch the video version of this and you can go to our YouTube channel, just search YouTube for Exposure Ninja. I've just searched for Architect Surrey. Got four Google ads at the top. That tells me there's commercial intent here. The first ad is from bark.com. Now, that, this is a lead generation website. They're gonna be generating thousands of leads per day for architects and various different searches around the country. So we know that their ads are probably going to be reasonable because they're gonna have a much higher media spend than a local architect firm that are targeting this area. So what does the ad say? Well, it starts best London architect. So they've immediately mismatched my target. I searched architect Surrey. They haven't been specific enough with the area. They've got best London architect. 
So that's already a miss. It feels like we've completely missed the target audience and they're gonna have a lower click-through rate for this type of search, which is probably actually gonna bring up their ad costs. So from saying that they're gonna be doing a good job, <laughs> the second word in their ad has immediately put me off. But the USP or the angle that they're using is prices to suit all budgets, which is an important consideration when you're targeting a search like this. Okay, the ad copy says, find recommended architects near you fast with Bark. Let us do the legwork free. Hundreds of top rated local professionals waiting to help you today, experienced designers. Okay, so the ad copy is actually pretty generic. There's nothing massively specific here. Why would I choose them rather than any of the other options? It says, let us do the legwork free, which is kind of useful, but I don't know what sort of legwork they're talking about. It's not telling me the fact that I can generate different quotes or anything like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm not massively convinced by this. The next ad that we have is actually a local architecture practice called Andrew Wood Associates, architect and interior designer, contemporary architects and interiors across London and the Southeast, tailored personal service, conservation areas, residential and commercial. This is essentially a business card taped to the wall. There's nothing about this ad that tells me why I should use them. It's just, hey, we're here. We're an option for you. Okay, so how we'd improve this would be say, you know, th there's, some, there's gotta be something about this business which means that we should choose them rather than any of their competitors. It could be that they've got, well, they say conservation areas. So if I'm looking for an architect in a conservation area, that's gonna be on my radar. But if I'm not, that's completely irrelevant. Um, so it could be that they do a, they specialize in a particular type of work. It could be that he's got loads of experience. It could be that they've got these awards or whatever. You know, whatever the thing is, there has to be a reason I'm going to choose you. Otherwise, you're just going to share out your clicks with everyone else and you're never going to win because there's no reason for anyone to click on it. As for a call to action, there's absolutely no attempt to generate a lead at all. There's no mention of what's gonna happen next. There's no mention of a free design consultation or uh, you know, a virtual scoping session or anything like that. There's just no attempt. There's no, uh, they're not trying to generate a lead. It's just, hey, here, here we are, here's our phone number, if you're interested. Okay, next, uh, next ad is localarchitectsdirect.co.uk forward slash Surrey, which tells me this is probably another lead gen site. We give you the full contact details of registered architects so you can speak directly. Listing service for architects, architectural tech, it's just rubbish. There's absolutely nothing about any of these ads which tells me what's working in this space. So if I'm competing against these in Google Ads, I'm pretty excited already because I'm thinking I can go specific with reasons to choose us. I can be very specific with a compelling call to action. And I'm probably gonna get a higher click-through rate than some of these because they're really not trying. They're not doing the basics. So that's very encouraging. So when you're doing a competitive analysis, look for what are the phrases that they're using? What are the calls to action? What are the USPs, the differentiators? Because anytime you're writing an ad, you've got to think about how am I going to stand out against these other listings on the page? It's not enough to just be another one. I need to be the winner. I need to be the one that people are clicking on. Okay, let's talk about writing killer ad copy. And this applies to Facebook and Google. So we've spoken about different terms that people are talking about and different USPs and that type of stuff. Um, what we would always do is try and find an angle. What's the reason that people are gonna choose you and then write that in your ad copy. You're gonna be running different ads, you're gonna be testing different variants, you're gonna be testing different headlines and stuff like that. But your ad copy is the reason that someone is gonna click on your ad. Now, just a word of warning here, what you don't wanna do is oversell the business in your ad. The goal isn't just to get as many clicks as possible and we'll often want to actually disqualify people from clicking on the ad if they're not relevant. So we wanna increase click-through rate for people that are relevant and are potential customers. This goes for Facebook or Google, but we don't just wanna cast a massive wide net because all that we're gonna do then is we're gonna pay for every single click even if it's utter garbage, even if it could never buy from us. So. Anytime you're writing your ad copy and testing different variants, you want to opt for the ad that is bringing you the best cost per lead, providing those leads are qualified, of course, rather than just the best, uh, best click-through rate. Because click-through rate is a measure of how many people click on your ad. You could have an amazing click-through rate by just saying free money, click here, no details needed. You're gonna get a decent click-through rate on that, if people believe it, 
but your cost per lead is going to be disgraceful if you're an architect firm. Okay, um, let's talk about, let's say that you chose Facebook. How do you spy on your competitors on Facebook? Well, there's actually a really cool little um, Google Chrome plugin or Google Chrome extension that you can use called eBoost Ad Spy. And all this does is a really simple plugin, but basically when you're on a competitor's website, if the eBoost Ad Spy logo lights up when you've got this extension installed, then it tells you that the plugin, the extension has found their ads in the Facebook ad library. So if you wanna spy on any competitor, you can just type in facebook.com forward slash ads forward slash library, and you can put that competitor's name in and you can see all of the ads that they're running on Facebook. This ad spy thing just basically shortcuts that page by as soon as you're on a competitor's site, it lights up, you just click on it and you go straight to all of their ads. So when you're analyzing your competitors' ads on Facebook and you'll see all the ads that are running across Facebook, the Facebook ad network and Instagram, what are you looking for? Well, a bit like the Google ads, we're looking for the angles that they're taking in the ads. We're looking at what sort of offers are they making? Uh, we look at an example in the video version of this podcast where we're looking at different accountancy software and we notice that um, the co particular competitor that we're looking at, they're running ads to their webinars. And these are really, these are purely informational webinars. It's like learn about payroll. So whilst we can't see the audience that's been targeted in these ads, what we can see is the approach that they're taking. So we know therefore that they've obviously, they're either retargeting visitors on their website. So someone coming onto their site, not signing up for zero and then they're seeing these ads about payroll, or we know that they're running these ads to already existing customers in order to try and upsell them by learning a bit more about payroll. So we know that we've got to have a, a kind of content strategy if we're gonna beat this sort of thing, because a company like that is gonna have tested direct sign-up CTAs, and they're probably running some of those as well, but they're also thinking a bit broader and they're, they're giving their potential customers and existing customers more content and more help. So we're looking at the angles that they're taking, we're looking at the creative that they're using. And remember, our goal is always to beat them on every level. So if they've got great video, we need great video. If they've got awesome copy and great offers, we need awesome copy and even better offers. So it's a really useful way of seeing exactly what they're running. Be careful if you, uh, copying or slash taking influence from competitors. If you're gonna do that, make sure that you're taking influence from an ad that has been running for a long time. What you don't wanna do is copy something that they only put live yesterday because you don't know whether or not that's gonna be working yet. So if you can find something that's active and has been running for a long time, that's usually an indication that it might be a control, that it's something that is working fairly well um, and that they're testing against. Um, so that, that would be the stuff to take influence from rather than something that's a little bit more short term. Okay, so we've done all that competitor research, we've written our ads, we've combined all of this into, we've got strong CTA, we've got the images, the video content and everything that we're gonna be using. Tip number nine, and by the way, I'm just dropping these tips almost, there's just one long cycle of information, but there's lots of tips in it. So tip number nine is that great campaigns are optimized, not designed. Okay, what do I mean by this? When we design a campaign at Exposure Engine, it doesn't matter how much research goes into it, doesn't matter how much time and strategy and competitor analysis goes into it, that campaign will not perform as well in day one, week one, month one, Q1, as it does on day 10, month 10, Q10, <laughs> year 10, right? A great campaign is optimized and refined and improved over time. The CPA, the CPL, whatever you're tracking, the cost per acquisition, cost per lead that you get at the start of your ad campaign should bear almost no resemblance to what you're getting in month three, month six, because what you're going to do over time is refine. You're gonna be testing different ad variants. You're gonna be adding negative keywords. You're gonna be refining your Facebook audience, stripping out audience groups that are less likely to convert. And you're basically gonna be feeding these targeting algorithms with data about what's working for you. So the performance of your campaign needs to improve over time. What this also means is that if you've got a budget, let's say you've got 100K to invest in ads, you need to be careful about how you're portioning that out over the year. And what you might want to do is test with a smaller budget to begin with. Once the campaign is working nicely, 
increase your budget gradually over time. This is the approach that we typically recommend people take because when you launch a campaign, it's gonna be relatively inefficient. Now I can tell you this, I can give you all of this that I'm blue in the face. I was having this conversation with a client just yesterday, but when you get in there and when you're running those ads in week one and week two, and the lead volume isn't what you expect, you're thinking, oh, I know this is gonna take a while, but it's stressful in the short term. Absolutely it is. Until that campaign is refined, until you've built up your negative keyword list, you refined your audience on Facebook, there is a period of data collection where you're finding out what's working, refining from there. Okay, let's talk about remarketing, retargeting. Data shows a returning visitor on your site 43% more likely to convert than a cold visitor. So remarketing or retargeting, depending on the network terminology, is a really important component of lead generation. Not everyone who comes onto your site from a paid source or an organic source is going to convert on their first visitor. So it's important to have some form of remarketing or retargeting. So remarketing is Google's word for it. So when you're advertising to repeat visitors on the Google display network, then you are remarketing. Retargeting is Facebook's word for it. So when you're doing it across Facebook's ad network, then you are retargeting. Now, obviously it's important to think about the visitor intent and where people need to be when they're going to become a lead for your business. Let's say that you are selling something which is very work focused and people have to be in the work frame of mind to become a lead. Let's say you're selling webinar software, for example. Is there any point remarketing, retargeting people in their Facebook newsfeed if you're selling webinar software? Well, maybe yes, it's worth testing, but what we would typically expect to see is that remarketing ads on, for example, Gmail or YouTube or on work-related um, Google Display Network sites might convert better because those might reflect the mindset that people are in when they're ready to make those decisions. So it's important to test different networks, but again, think about the location of your remarketing, retargeting ads to make sure that it matches where people need to be when they're ready to take an action. There's absolutely no point trying to sell me you know, the locksmith retargeting while I'm scrolling on Instagram, right? That moment has passed, I'm done. So we need to think about where people are at in their heads when they're ready to make a decision on becoming a lead. Okay, let's talk about SEO. Um, now, we, we've just talked about how important pay-per-click is and how unpredictable organic traffic is and why it's great to have a scalable source of paid traffic up your sleeve. Here I'm gonna talk about why it's important to have organic traffic on your side as well, particularly organic search. Organic search traffic is, from our experience working across hundreds of clients over the last eight, nine years, the single highest potential source of leads for most businesses. The volume of searches and the volume of high intent searches happening on Google is insane and very difficult to compete with on any paid traffic source. So we sometimes use a renting a house, buying a house analogy. When you're running Google ads, you're essentially renting that space at the top of Google because as soon as you stop paying, obviously your ads come down. When you're ranking organically, it's like you've bought the house because you don't need to spend any more money to live in it, essentially. You've got that visibility and as long as your competitors aren't out SEOing you and you're continuing to do enough to maintain that ranking, then you'll continue to pick up those leads. So first tip around keyword research, first tip around SEO, I gave it away there. Keyword research, the fundamental first step of any SEO campaign is understand the phrases that your customers are using. Now, it's easy to dismiss keyword research. Yeah, yeah, I know keyword research. We did that back in 2018. Like, that's sweet. We got it nailed. Here's the thing about keyword research. It's not a one and done. It's a consistently refined process. So if you're talking to your sales team and asking them, what are people looking for? What are people describing us as? If you're looking at your live chat, your inbound requests, if you're looking at inbound emails, how are people describing what it is that they're looking for when they're looking to work with you? This is all really important keyword research data that no tool is going to give you. So yes, by all means, use tools. We love SEMrush. Get a free trial with thankyouninjas.com. But also don't neglect talking to your customers and finding out the phrases that they're using. Next tip around this, optimize your page titles and meta descriptions. This is like SEO 101 stuff. 
page titles are the little title tag that is um, hidden at the back of your page, but it shows in the browser window. Um, and it also shows, uh, typically it's the blue um, text in the search results, although Google sometimes rewrites it. It's really important from an SEO perspective, it's important to have your target keywords in the page title and make sure they're all unique to every page on your site. The meta description is the hidden text on each page of your site, which Google uses or tends to use in the search results. So it's a little bit like that, you know, the black text that you see, it's like an advert to get someone to click on your organic um, search result. Really important because it is like an advert that gets someone to click on your site when they see it in search. So if you have a compelling meta description, just like we talked about with PPC, that tells people why they should use you, um, pre-sells your call to action, then you're more likely to get people clicking on your organic listing, which is over time gonna uh, build Google's impression of the relevance of your site so it can help your ranking as well as obviously getting you more traffic. So page titles, meta descriptions, absolute no brainer on every single page of your site. The next thing is to optimize the key pages on your site in the content with the right keywords. Now people get really confused with keywords and optimizing page content. They go one of two directions. They either go super spammy and just stuff their pages full of keywords, or they say, well, Google's more sophisticated than this. We don't need to use keywords. Neither is the right approach. You want something in the middle. How I like to describe it is if you've ever met a great salesperson, you'll notice that that salesperson bounces the language that you use back to you, right? If you go into a car showroom and you're talking to a great salesperson and you say, we're looking for a car which has loads of boot space because we've got a three-year-old um, and it's pretty nippy off the line. Well, that salesperson, as they're showing you different models, is gonna say, you know what, for your three-year-old, this car's got loads of boot space and eight-speed automatic is pretty nippy off the line. They're gonna use your language back to you because they know that's a great way to build rapport and by selling you what you actually want, they've got a much better chance of closing you. Very similar approach to take with optimizing the copy on your website using your target keywords. It's just good marketing to use the language that your customers are using. These are the words that they are tuned to if that's the phrase that they've just searched for. And by talking their language and using the keywords that they use, you, you get that rapport, you build that alignment. So use your target keywords in your page headings. Use them in subheadings if you need to. Use them throughout the copy, but in a natural way. It should. If a salesperson can't say a single sentence without saying, there's loads of boot space, there's loads of boot space. Let's go and look at some other cars with loads of boot space. This one's got loads of boot. It quickly becomes annoying, right? So we want to maintain a kind of natural conversational tone, but with use of the customer's language. Next tip, tip on SEO, reduce your page loading speed. Obviously, with Core Web Vitals around the corner, it's important that your website loads snappy, but it's important that your website loads snappily, snappy off the line, um, for general conversion rate optimization as well. We're not gonna go into this in too much detail because we covered it in a recent episode all about Core Web Vitals, so go and check that out if you want more info. Final tip on SEO is to add blog content onto your site to increase the number of keywords that you rank for. Blog content is particularly relevant for informational searches that target top of funnel traffic. Now that sounds a bit like marketing jargon, and to be fair, it is. Let's think about the car purchase journey. I'm looking to buy a new Range Rover. What's the first thing I search for? I might search for best Range Rover models or fastest Range Rover models. That might be my top of funnel search. As I begin to move my way down the buyer journey and as I begin to move closer towards purchase, I might be searching for things like Range Rover Autobiography 5 liter supercharged. I might be very, very specific. I might be like Range Rover dealers near Cobham or something like that. So as people get closer to purchase, they search for different things, okay? As they're further away in the research phase, they're searching for broad stuff. They're looking to uh, navigate their way around a topic. So like fastest Range Rover models, for example, very informational. Someone who searches for that probably isn't gonna make a purchase this week or this month because they're just getting their head around the different options out there. Okay, sorry if you're not into cars, it's just the first thing that popped into my head. So we need to have different content on our site optimized for different stages of the buyer journey. Usually the highly intent, high commercial intent content on your site is gonna be covered by your product or your category or your service pages i.e. pages that are designed to sell something. 
So what do you do for the people that are searching for fastest Range Rover models? Well, you write a blog post for them, all about the different models available, how to choose between them, why people choose one or another. Right, this is what your blog is for. Your blog is not for latest news about your business. No one cares about that rubbish. The blog is just for let's target unless you're a PLC and you've got you know duties and all that stuff. But if you're not, if you're free of those restrictions, then your blog is just for answering your customers' questions, particularly top of funnel traffic that isn't being catered for anywhere else on your page. And this is a really important SEO strategy because very few other pages on your site are likely to rank for that kind of informational search query. So what we want to do is we want to write blog posts to answer our customers' questions and we want to have an appropriate call to action on those blog posts, which probably isn't become a lead for us right now, because if I'm a garage and I've written a, gu a guide on the fastest Range Rover models and I'm saying, book your test drive right now, it's too soon. What I might want to do is offer a buyer's guide or something that I can download or comparison charts or something like that where I capture their email address and then build a relationship with them through email marketing, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So write blog posts, targeting your top questions. This is targeting informational search, but it's also helping your visibility for core terms as well, because you'll be linking through those blog posts into specific products and service pages as needed. Alrighty, let's talk about content marketing. So content marketing um, can be really helpful for SEO. Broadly here, we're talking about basically building links and getting visibility on other websites. You need to be getting links if you're going to generate really awesome organic visibility, which is really important. But also a lot of this stuff has a primary benefit, depending on how you're looking at it, of getting your business in front of your target customer in a way that gives you um, clout, gives you credibility. So for example, getting featured, getting your uh, your business talked about or getting articles written in your voice on um, industry publications or even general interest high authority publications can be a great way of building uh, a sense of authority with your target audience. So um, the first tip around content marketing is to make sure that anytime you're writing or making a video or doing an infographic or on a podcast, make sure you're doing something that people actually want to read, watch, listen to. This is so important. So many people are making boring, rubbish, pointless content and it's filling up the internet and the, the whales and the dolphins are having a tough time. Um, any content you create needs to be engaging, right? It needs to be interesting. It needs to, you imagine reciting that blog post to your perfect customer. Are they going to be interested or are they going to be asleep? I've just been on a three hour live webinar for a particular expo that's running these live webinars because they can't run uh, because they can't run an expo and literally every single presentation was dry, dull and utterly pointless because any target audience would have just checked out mentally immediately. So, is the content that you're producing engaging? Is it informative? Does it actually give your audience a result? Does it give them something that they can take away and feel more empowered with? If you can give your audience that feeling, that's a great way of building a connection with them. Is it shareable? Is it the sort of thing that they might want to share on social? And is it the sort of thing that other publications would actually want to publish? Or is it completely self-promotional and, you know, advertorial in its nature, which means that very few publications are ever going to be interested in publishing it. The next thing you need to do once you've, you know, got your head in place for writing some awesome content is find the right publications to reach out to. So we're obviously talking here about getting links and getting your content published on other sites. Now, a lot of people assume that if they're going to get links, they need to be from, you know, real top tier publications. They need to be national newspapers. They need to be Forbes, the Inks, um, that type of thing. And whilst, yes, these links are awesome and they can be fantastically powerful for SEO, actually, you don't always need to go top tier. If you can find a really highly specialized publication that your target audience spends a lot of time on, this can be fantastically powerful. Not only is that content going to be, you know, is that link going to have massive topical relevance? Let's say that you're um, selling, uh, you know, industrial manufacturing of something and you're on like the, the journal site for your customers. Well, that's going to have massive relevance for your business. That link is going to have massive relevance for your SEO because Google's going to see that you're a real authority on this space. But also you've got a chance of picking up some actual business because 
you know, real customers are going to be reading your thing. Whereas if you're, a, you know, an industrial manufacturing business and you get a link on the mirror, for example, well, how many customers are you going to get from that? Probably zero, right? Because the audience is so broad, the chance of your actual customers seeing that is, is going to be relatively small. So start with your target audience and figure out where they spend their time and then you're going to reach out to them. Okay, so tip number 19, let's talk about outreach email strategy and how you actually reach out to people and how you get featured. And again, if you want to see the video version of this, go and check out our YouTube channel. So you're going to find the publication that you want to get featured in. In the video version, I use the example of let's say that we're an architecture firm and we specialize in eco-friendly house building, for example. So all I did is type in house builders magazine. So what I'm really looking for there is I'm looking for people who are in the process of building a house who are going to be my target audience. Now, because my angle is eco-friendliness, I then searched on this site for green or eco and up comes a whole bunch of articles about green or eco that contain green or eco. I then look through and see what's the writer or the editor who has written this article. I find their name and I then Google their name. I either find them on LinkedIn, I find them on Twitter, and I'm probably going to get their email address and I can contact them that way. Now, this is generally a better approach than just approaching the publication directly and, you know, through the contact form, because that contact form is going to go to someone whose job it is to delete emails all day. So if you reach out to the person who's written and you said, I noticed that you've written about eco homes. Well, I've got a great article which might work perfectly for your audience all about how to reduce carbon emissions with your new um, architect or, or how to reduce carbon emissions with your new house build by using these three architecture tips then that might be the sort of thing that's interesting and relevant to them. Okay, before we go into the final section, I want to offer you some free help. If you need to generate more leads through your website, then Exposure Ninja, our agency, has a awesome service called the Free Website and Marketing Review. So if you need to generate more leads through your site, what you want to do is go to exposureninja.com forward slash review. On this page, you'll see a questionnaire which asks you a bunch of questions about your business and also your goals. You'll fill in those questions. They're all very straightforward, nothing too dramatic. Um, and then one of the team will conduct a video review of your website, your digital marketing activity so far, and also your competitors, the space that you're in. They'll then put their recommendations into a six to 12 month plan, which they'll send over to you saying, here's the things that we would suggest focusing on to get to the goals you've told us you want. This service is completely free. Now, because of the volume of requests that we've had, we're having to prioritize people that are actually looking to work with a digital marketing agency. So if you're curious to see what Exposure Ninja would do for your business in this area to help you hit your lead targets, then go and request your free website and marketing review from exposureninja.com forward slash review today. It's awesome. And I think we've had over 500 five-star reviews on it as well. So it's, it's a really popular thing. Okay, now let's talk about email marketing. Now, email marketing is one of my favorite topics within digital marketing, not least because it is completely unsexy. Nobody loves talking about email marketing. Everyone wants to talk about social media, but email marketing is like the workhorse in the background, doing the work, grinding out conversions in the dark. I think one of the reasons that people don't talk about email marketing is you actually can't see it really from the outside, so you can't do analysis on it. But it's fantastically powerful. We've built our business on email marketing and we're helping clients now with our email marketing service to do exactly the same. And it's killer. ROI is through the roof. It's one of the most productive things that you can do for your business. And for lead generation, it's absolutely vital. So remember, earlier we talked about having blog content targeted at informational searches, people further up the funnel who might not be ready to convert yet. Well, what happens when you get them onto your blog and you offer them that free guide? They go into your email stream and then they either they sit there and just decay over time or they go into an awesome, highly refined automated indoctrination sequence, which gives them a sequence of different content that you've produced over time, which is designed specifically to move them along the buyer intent journey from curiosity to research to intent to becoming a lead. Now, which of those they go to, whether it's immediate instant decay or whether it's a, a tantalizing conveyor belt, which turns into a lead, depends on your email marketing strategy. Email marketing strategy, you say? Yes. 
<laughs> exactly. So um, let's talk about some of the things that you might want to do. Firstly, use lead capture on your website. So we're not, even if you're a lead generation business and you're only really interested in getting leads, I'd encourage you to consider some kind of lower commitment call to action, which basically replaces the free newsletter thing, which no one ever signs up for. So what can you offer instead of a newsletter, which is less high commitment than an actual lead, like become a lead for our business, but it's still tantalizing. So this might be the buyer's guides. It might be sign up for our tips. It might be sign up for our free course. You know, whatever that thing is where you're capturing an email, make sure it's compelling and make sure it's not a high commitment thing. The next thing is to test the headlines and the tone of your email. Now, people often go into this general kind of corporate mode when they're writing emails. They imagine broadcasting to a huge audience. And we've got specific podcast episodes and videos about email marketing. So I'm not going to go into this in too much detail, but it is a real bugbear of mine how people go from writing great personal emails to these dry, dull, mass broadcast emails. And it's a total mistake. What they're doing is they're imagining preaching to a massive audience. Whereas instead, it'd be much more effective if they imagine preaching to a single person or not preaching, having a conversation, talking to, writing an email to a single person. If you take that approach with your emails instead, you'll find you get a much better engagement. You get a much higher open rate and click through rate because they are like personal emails from a figurehead in the business rather than mass broadcast emails, which go straight into people's promotion tab because it's just boring, generic corporate guff. Okay, um, next tip, set up automated sequences based on user behavior. So this is a little bit complex, um, and if you want more details, then go and have a look at the YouTube video about how to automate your sales process um, from Exposure Ninja, because that actually shows you behind the scenes about how all this stuff works. But basically, what we're talking about here is you're gonna have, well, a lot of businesses, they have one email list, right? And everyone is on that email list. And then every so often, they'll send out a broadcast to the whole list. And everybody gets the same thing, doesn't matter what stage of the buying process they're at, doesn't matter what their interests are, you're all getting the same thing, right? It's like going to McDonald's and everyone's just getting a Big Mac. Vegetarian, don't care, eat your Big Mac. Thirsty, have a Big Mac, right? So it's a really generic approach. Now it's better than nothing, but what would be much better is to segment your list based on interest, based on where they're at in the sales process, based on their behavioral triggers. So what we do at Exposure Ninja, for example, is we'll have people sign up for email lists from various different places on our website. We'll tag them according to the particular service that they're interested in. And we'll then put them in uh, one of two sequences. One sequence, which is designed for people that are doing their own marketing. So it gives them tips on you know, how to actually do this. And another sequence um, is for people that are looking to work with an agency because they've got very different questions. They need something very different. If you're looking to work with an agency and you've got lots of different marketing things that you're doing at the moment, me giving you a guide on how to write compelling copy is the last thing that you need because you haven't ever written copy in your life. You want a guide on how to prioritize strategy when you're working across paid channels, right? So it's about understanding where your audience is at and making sure you're only giving them stuff that's relevant to them. Then you might segment further. As soon as someone actually becomes a lead for your business, you might have a sequence which runs alongside them moving through your sales process, which is designed to remove objections or answer questions that they might have at that particular stage. So you've got different levels of automation, but the point here is that it's not a everyone's eating the same meal. It has to be tailored to where people are at, what their interests are, and the stage of the buying journey that they are as well. Okay, let's talk about social media. Our final three tips are all about social. Now, the heyday of getting huge, ridiculous organic reach on Facebook, let's be honest, that's gone. Um, even organic reach on LinkedIn is dropping. So, you know, where do we get our organic reach? Well, it looks like we're all gonna be learning dances on TikTok. But here's the deal. Social's still a great tool. And even if you're getting lower organic reach. There are ways to increase that. And there's also amazing positioning tool and relationship building tool that it provides as well. So how is it and why is it important in generating 100 leads per day? Well, there's lots of specific things that you can do to increase your visibility and get in front of people more through social media. So for example, our YouTube videos, our, our subscriber count is increasing exponentially as we're making more. And this is increasing our audience. This is getting more people um, aware of our business. So that's fantastic. But you've also got, we use YouTube videos, we use, we use podcasts, we use blogs, we use posts 
in our indoctrination sequences to, um, to to kind of welcome and to educate people as they come into our world. So if you sign up for our emails, for example, we're going to send you a whole bunch of videos and blogs to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch. So these are all really, really social media, um, but we're using it as both a, a way of building our audience, but also building a relationship with our audience. So some specific tips. Number one, run competitions which require signups to enter. So you can use something like Rafflecopter um, to run a contest across social. Obviously, it needs to be relevant for your business um, where people can enter to win some sort of prize in return for a sign up or a social engagement. This can be fantastic um, if you've got a highly engaged niche around a particular topic, but you want to make sure that the prize is relevant to your audience. You can get a lot of entries for a contest giving away an iPad. But if you're selling, you know, car insurance for people with one leg, who you know used to live in Botswana and now live in Newcastle, then giving away an iPad is going to be a very useless kind of broad way of picking up a massive audience with a very small percentage of qualified visitors. So you want to give away something which is broadly going to be of interest to your target customer is what I'm trying to say there. Um, the next thing is putting a small amount of paid boost behind each of your organic posts. We have a, an interesting relationship with boosting posts, don't we? We'll spend, you know, five hours writing a, a writing a blog post. We'll spend half an hour working out what to say on social media. And then we'll say, well, we're not going to put any boost behind this once we post it because, you know, we don't want to pay. <laughs> you know, we just spent five and a half hours making this thing. Why don't we just put a couple of quid behind it on Facebook so it actually reaches people? So what we're starting to do, even for, you know, businesses that, you know, organic reach has, has never really been big, is just boost everything, boost all of the organic posts because it's better to have people seeing your stuff than not at all. And, you know, if your audience is fairly easy to identify, the amount of boost that you need to put behind these posts is really, really small to get some decent engagement. So it does make a big difference. On Facebook, it's pretty much the difference between no organic visibility for most businesses and a bit of organic visibility. Okay, uh, final tip, interacting with users. So treating social media as just a broadcast platform where you just shout from the top of the hill down to the listeners below is not really using it how it was designed. One of the reasons that personal pages get so much more engagement is because people engage with each other. They write comments, they post, they like stuff. If you look at the highest engagement social media pages, for example, the, the, you know, the highest engagement tweet ever was a reply, right? Or it was a retweet. It was um, Kanye West said, McDonald's is my favorite restaurant. Burger King retweeted or quote tweeted saying explains a lot. Huge engagement made all the national press. Now this was a retweet. This is a this is a business acting as if it was a person, right? They have a they have a personal tone. They're sending a personal message there. That is the sort of thing that a human being would say. And what we're noticing is that the highest engagement brand social channels are taking a a, a personal approach. They're not talking in brand tone of voice. They're talking in personal tone of voice that represents their target audience. And this is what people want to see. This is what people go onto social media for. So make sure that you're engaging with people. Make sure you're liking, commenting, sharing your you know, your customers, when they talk about you, like, comment, share, just drop a like, just drop some comments into people that are talking about topics, you know, that that represent your hashtags on LinkedIn. Make sure you're actually in the conversation and you're not just the douchebag in the corner that's shouting at the top of the voice at the cocktail party and not listening to anybody else. Um, who's talking. Okay, so there you have it. 26 tips. Once you put all of those together, you've got a pretty comprehensive wide digital marketing strategy to get to your 100 leads per day. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you found it useful. I hope that you've at least done one of those, either enjoyed it or found it useful. Don't forget to request your free website and marketing review from Exposure Ninja. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. It really means a lot. We read all of the reviews and if there's any topics that you want us to cover, then please mention them as well because we do read them all. Until next week, see you soon.